0: Welcome to my office. I'm Carrie Lorenz. Thanks for joining me in conversations with fearless leaders from around the world to discuss the mechanics of high performance, success, and failure. Through the conversation ahead, I hope to challenge and inspire you to move fearlessly to higher levels of performance and to go further faster. And that conversation starts right now. Renowned reinvention expert and top business thinker, and communication coach, Dory Clark, takes a seat in my office this week. Dory is a consultant, Duke University professor, and author of three bestsellers. Her latest, The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. And it's available right now. Dory, welcome to my office. Carrie, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. I know, I'm so excited we finally made this happen. And I can't wait to get into the long game. But before we do that, I mentioned in the open that The Times has called you an expert at self-reinvention and helping others make changes in their lives. When you were a little kid, did you ever dream that one day you would become a reinvention expert? I, I definitely didn't know
1: that was a thing. I was still caught up trying to, trying to be a spy. That didn't work too well. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, maybe. Maybe it has, just in a different format. Um, but <laughs> one of my favorite quotes in your book is, everything takes longer than we want it to. Everything. And Dory, uh, I'll tell you what, that could be a pull quote on every third page as a reminder uh, that the quick wins that you see on social from people on social media, uh, those rarely last, right? And the overnight successes are really rarely that. And it'd be easy, I think, for outsiders, regardless of your organization, regardless of your title or your position, to really look at your current resume, uh, you're the author of five books, a Wall Street Journal bestseller, and think, well, sure, it's easy for you, but I could never do that. So could you walk us through to when you first started? Uh, and in my mind, that anchor point is is that dinner meeting that you attended in 2008, that kind of seemed to be the catalyst for your first writing adventure. And I'm putting air quotes around adventure.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, a- as you mentioned, Carrie, one of the stories that I share in the long game is a time that I went to a conference and this was in 2008, just, just before the economy tanked and it was high times people, people were, were, you know, totally going into, Oh, you know, the, the economy has been so great. And I managed to, uh, wheedle my way into this kind of elite conference And even better, I managed to get invited out to dinner with some of the people at the the conference and they all knew each other, but I didn't. And I was just sort of sitting there and they were having this conversation back and forth, what felt like pretty much the whole dinner. And they kept recounting. You know, how many people from their class, because they had apparently all gone to the same Ivy League schools together and knew all the same people. And they were counting whether people from their class had produced more babies or more books. And they were essentially doing this head count of, oh, well, she wrote three books. Oh, he wrote four, and going around. And I'm just sitting there thinking, okay, well, I have no babies. I have no books. And it just became this uh, sort of point of, of humiliation that I did feel like I needed to remedy. So you had
0: to figure out right out of the gate then, okay, if I want either access to or figuring out a way to leverage what you had already developed as a skill set, you had to figure out a way, okay, what's the path to that? How do I do that? How did all of these other people find success in that? And maybe is that a path I want to take? So where did you start? Because oftentimes, and Dory, I'm sure because you've had so many books that have done so well and, and people will... I know I've heard them talk about you and say, oh, she's, you know, she's so lucky, or I wish I could do that. And in my mind, because I know part of your history, I'm like, well, you could do that. But that means you're gonna have to strap your butt down and you are going to actually start doing the thing that you're saying that you want to be a part of, which is actually doing the work, right? Doing the writing. Because you don't start off by just saying, I'm gonna be a best selling author. Here it is, here's my tome. Aren't I awesome? right? (laughs) Absolutely. And part of what made
1: this particular conversation sting so much was that I had had a previous, I guess you could say like abortive attempt at writing a book. I had originally decided I wanted to write a mystery novel. And in 2004, I did write one and I managed to get a publisher interested in it. And I got an agent and we were ready to go. It was uh, moving forward and then the publisher folded and it never came out it folded before we even had signed the deal but i i you know they had, they had verbal agreement and then it collapsed shortly thereafter and so my agent tried to sell it to other mystery publishers but nobody wanted it and so i had come so close to having a book deal and a book coming out and and i was like oh and so then 4 years later i still didn't have one and everybody was you know, around the table was kind of recounting their successes. So it was really a, a motivator. Um, but yeah, it very much was a, a process after that conversation. By that point, I had sort of shifted over into wanting to write a business book. And so in 2009, I decided that was gonna be the time that I did it, that was the year that I would sell it. And so I wrote three different business book proposals. None of them ended up selling. And I basically got the brushback from publishers saying that I was not famous enough. So I had to then retreat, essentially, and spend a couple of years building my brand and building my platform such that I was able finally to get a book deal.
0: Well, and so you you made the ship because prior to that, correct me if I'm wrong, weren't you a presidential campaign spokesperson? Yeah, that was one of the hats that
1: I wore. My mystery oh. novel was actually about, uh, it was set during a presidential campaign.
0: Right. So you had, you had what you probably felt like at the time. You're like, hey, I've got access. I have some of these inroads. I've got a lot of really great stories. But how do you even break into that? And I think it's, I think it's fascinating. And, and there are so many parts of, about what I love about your book, The Long Game. But you share these tips and these tools and even principles about how can somebody reframe you're thinking for that long-term success. And I think uh, even give some warnings about what can go wrong when you're carried along that career path, whatever it may be, without asking enough questions or maybe even any questions, right? When I look at in your background, and your history, and the different shifts that you've made, the different reinventions, I find it so compelling right now and such a great and informative read. And helpful read for people when, as, as we know, so many people are rethinking right now how they want to spend their time and even contemplating what success looks like for them. So now that you have a few more years under your belt, a little more experience, and you're working with tons of different people, coaching lots of executives, you're, you're a professor as well, and, and one of the top communication coaches. So all of that, how do you now define long-term success you know a decade and a half after you sat around at the table wondering gosh how did how did these people do it so how do you define long-term career success now
1: well i think my definition hasn't necessarily changed i define long-term career success essentially is just self-actualization i mean i think it's different for everyone but to me it's a it's a question of how do we make sure there is no daylight, or at least as little daylight as possible, between what you aspire to for yourself and what you're actually able to accomplish? I would like to help people be able to figure out how to close that gap, because there's plenty of people with aspirations. Um, we know that not everyone is able to achieve them, but I'd love to see more people doing it. I'd actually love to hear more, Carrie, about your transition and, and how how you made <laughs> the, uh, the the decision after your um, very high-octane first career uh, into shifting into the world of, of writing and speaking and, and things like that, was that always the self-evident choice, or
0: were you, you know, sort of actively making pros and cons lists? Oh, 100% not a something that I thought I would do or a path that I even thought was possible for me. I call it going from Mach 2 to preschool and then back again, <laughs> I ended up after uh, I got out of the Navy, I had just had my second daughter and was just going to take a little bit of time uh, to decompress and, you know, try to figure out, okay, what next, you know, what, what can I do to serve? What can I do to contribute? What does that even look like now that I'm, you know, I'm a mom of, of two kids. And I ended up actually starting to do just by, by luck, some strategic consulting and some market analysis and stuff like that, and then ended up working with a company just for a real short period of time that ended up doing some team building and some strategic work and strategy planning and all of that. And I realized that you know there's there is a path forward. There is a way that you can try to combine the things that you like and that maybe you even are good at. I was a psychology and social work major actually in college, and I've always wanted to get a PhD in, in industrial organizational psychology. So for me, I've always read and researched and studied and tried to figure out how do teams achieve high performance? How do people achieve high performance? Um, but when it comes to the book writing part, in my mind, and this is just a personal hangup, and, and you know folks who have heard me say this before, uh, I never necessarily thought of myself as a writer because my brother is a really good writer. So when I, get in, when I get stuck in the dreaded comparison trap in my mind, I'm like, well, he's the writer, right? He's the one who can sit down and crank out a 15-page paper that appears to be flawless while I'm over here going, okay, how do I want this to be really conversational? How do I want it to be readable? How do I want it to be... Who do I want it to serve? Right? You know, this you you work in in these different areas. I know I don't want to write a dissertation level book that has all these fancy nine syllable words in it. I want it to be actionable and educational and all of that. So it was a learning process. For me, it was a you know, you have to punch through. And again, this is for me, um, the fear of being not enough of being vulnerable enough to share your stories when there are gonna be people who are gonna go, yeah, that's not for me. Yeah, so it's kind of, and that just morphed into uh, doing, again, a lot of strategic planning, account team planning. I do a lot of executive coaching as well. And as you know, I do a lot of keynote speaking now. But 15 years ago, would I've ever thought I'd have a couple of books that hit, you know, the Wall Street Journal bestseller list? Absolutely not. Does that mean you end up spending hours You know with a pen in hand sitting looking at a legal pad going is this going to be good enough you just have to keep going right you have to be open to the criticism you have to be open to working hard to make things better and just keep moving forwards and next thing you know you look at it and you go holy cats like i'm actually an author that's that's grown-up work right that's absolutely yeah But I think it's, I've had to, I've had to figure out, which is why I like how you've addressed so clearly the idea of, as I was working through that and as my career has developed, the idea that, you know, you can't do all the things and that I love how you say, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. So if anybody, you know, if you, if you get Dory's book or you get it on Kindle, know that this is not word for word, but it's the idea of that even Even the best job becomes miserable if the pace is too frenetic, if the demands are too overwhelming. And I think you said, if the pressure is too unyielding. And for me, that really resonated. So because then you look at it and you go, so many people are suffering from this right now, whether they're stuck in a management job they don't like, maybe they're a line worker, an operational worker. They could be a high-performing athlete, right? That's listening to this right now going, I'm literally at the top of my game right now and I want to cry. Like, I'm not happy doing this. So when we think about how we all or so many of us get sucked into that frenetic, overwhelming pace of how we're living, why can't we stop? Yeah, that is is the question, right?
1: I think for so many of us, you know, if you are... You know, a knowledge worker, a white collar professional. Odds are, you know, there's there's a lot, or at least some, really good elements of your job. You know, you might have cool coworkers, or you get to work on meaningful projects, or you're leveling up your skills in some way. There's parts that we relish, but what can make things really, you know, hard to unbearable sometimes is the point that you raised, which is that if there is so much that you literally can't take a breath and i think you know all of us have had days like this but the question is is every day like this where you literally have to strategize about how to go to the bathroom and you know okay okay well there's there's 3 minutes here and and then they won't mind too much if uh, if i'm a minute late and then you know you're you're planning it out it's really no way to live the thing we have to realize for so many of us we feel like that's what our lives have to be like. But we are making choices. Certainly, we have to appreciate it if we're an entrepreneur, we are putting ourselves in this situation. But even if you are working inside a company, there is often more room to maneuver than we sometimes expect. And there's often uh, some subterranean elements of this. I mean, of course, we can all accurately point to the fact that we're too busy because okay, we have a lot of meetings. Okay, we have a lot of emails. Yes, that is true. And what I realized in the course of researching the long game is that there's some other things happening too. Uh, Some interesting research out of Columbia Business School showed, from Sylvia Baletza and her colleagues showed that actually part of what's going on is that it's a status game. That in Western culture, especially American culture, busyness has become a way that we telegraph our worth mm-hmm. to other people mm-hmm. and so, if we actually were to make the tr- the changes necessary to turn our lives more in the direction of what we claim we want, that may actually open up uncomfortable questions about whether we're actually as essential as we thought we were or what or you know what if other people think we're not that important and you begin to realize, oh, this is
0: a multi-layered problem here. Well, and it's, it's fascinating because you do, I love how you sprinkle research throughout your book as well. And that when we know that, and when we think about, you know, anytime you pick up a newspaper or you go to a conference and, and any company right now you will hear saying, and especially moving through a pandemic period, we have to be innovative. We have to be creative. And yet we know scientifically and all the surveys show us the only way you can be innovative, the only way you can be creative is, first of all, if you trust people enough that if they fail, that you're not going to shove them off the cliff, right? Like that's a big thing that they have the psychological and even physical safety to take that, take that leap of faith. But, but also combined with, you have to have the white space. You have to have the space to actually do the thinking, to come up with the idea that's innovative. And that's exactly right. Yes. <laughs> right. Next thing, you know, we're on this merry-go-round that, you know, we, we're thinking if we even just take a second, if we don't have our calls, absolutely calendar, you know, filled every 30 minute increment. And then we get to the end of the day and we're like, I literally did no reflective thinking, no strategic thinking, no, everything becomes reactionary in short term. Right. Which you can do in extremis, for the short term, but long term, terrible, terrible success strategy. So you you have a phrase that I will uh, have to try to work into my my vernacular of strategic patience, which I love. Can you talk about yeah. that a little bit?
1: Yeah, thank you, absolutely. And I think you're you're exactly right. I mean, w- when I think about short-term thinking, to me the distinction, it's, it's almost like sprints versus marathons, right? Mm -hmm. Like there is a, there is a place for sprints. Um, sometimes we need to do that. And, uh, but if you try something real quick,
0: your cat, I'm I'm going to assume that's Philip.
1: That, that is Philip. Yes. I'm I'm
0: glad his brand reputation is
1: spreading far and
0: wide across the continent. he, He needs his own Instagram account. He literally just walked across your whole keyboard, and I'm listening as I'm watching. You did not even skip a beat. If somebody's only listening to this and not watching the video piece of this, you didn't even hesitate. He's like, I'm here. I am Philip, and you will carry on. And you did.
1: Thank you. Phil,
0: yes, you strong. are unclappable. He spent
1: about 18 months training me that like, okay, cat's walking across your face. That's completely normal. Carry on.
0: (laughs) That is the best. That's the best. I'm sorry. I interrupted you right in your train of thought, but Philip needed his own shout out. So here we are.
1: Thank you. Well, you know, he does not have his his own Instagram, um, largely because I wouldn't want to leave his little brother behind, Heath, who's a little more shy. But for people who are interested on my Instagram, which is just at Dory Clark, you can check out all of the best Philip and Heath pictures.
0: <laughs> the content, the content you didn't know you needed until today.
1: <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. I, I heard from someone actually, I did not uh, know this was a thing, but, um, but apparently there's a famous weightlifter named Phil Heath and somebody's like, oh, you must be into weightlifting. I'm like, no, actually, absolutely not. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But now, now we will never forget.
0: (laughs) Oh, that is fantastic. That's awesome. Well, at least it's a good analogy and not something, uh, saucier. So. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the other one, I was actually super
1: impressed. I feel like this person would like somehow do really well on the LSATs. But I had a woman once who was, um, who was like auditioning as a cat sitter for me. And so she met the cats and I was introducing her and she's like, Philip and Heath. She's like, dead actors. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and she said, "Well, obviously, you name them after Heath Ledger and Philip Seymour Hoffman." And I said, "Wow, that's also not actually true, but that's really like um, amazing problem solving there. That's very good."
0: <laughs> wow! Wow! Yeah, she's she's already giving auras or uh, personality traits possibly to to your fellows there. That's yeah, that is fascinating.
1: <laughs>
0: People are absolutely. Odd.
1: You know, seriously, and cats Uh, cats really remind you of that. Uh, Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Anyway, I as I was saying, you know, it is a good thing to sprint. It's not a bad thing to sprint, but Mm -hmm. it it only becomes a problem, of course, if you try to sprint forever, because then you're basically going to collapse and die. (laughs) And so, similarly, with short term thinking, it's not that it's a problem to do short term thinking sometimes but we have to treat it like an arrow in our quiver it can't be the only uh modality that we use we need we need to shift to long-term thinking so that we actually can be setting a proactive vision for ourselves rather than just reacting to you know whatever happens to come our way so you asked Carrie about strategic patience which is a concept i talk about in the long game and the reason that i devoted some ink to it and wanted to share about it is Frankly, patience has never been my strong suit. Uh, it is not my favorite thing at all. but I came to realize you know as I thought more and more and spent more more and more time focused around long term thinking, that you know inevitably there are some things that just do take a long time. We don't want them to, but they do, and if we want to face reality and not be these kind of magical thinkers, we have to get with a program but The problem I've always had with patience, you know, oh, just be patient. People love to say that. To me, that sounds really not dissimilar to shut up, stop Mm -hmm. agitating, just sit back and good things will happen. And to me, that doesn't actually sound like a reassurance. That sounds like placation. That sounds Mm -hmm. like somebody just saying, "Uh, uh," you know, quiet Mm -hmm. down, get off my back and that's that's not something that is really tenable for me. <laughs> I will have a person who likes to make things happen. And so for me, my definition of strategic patience is, you know, holding multiple realities at one time, which is number one, yes, it's true. It might take a while. Okay, we've made our peace with that. Number two, we certainly don't need to make it take longer than it has to. And we are going to do what we can to try to be smart about it and to expedite it. And that means formulating a hypothesis, working toward that hypothesis, testing it, pivoting where we need to, and all the while understanding, okay, you know, this might not work, the next thing might not work, but something is going to work. Mm-hmm. And we are going to get closer and closer to that with the, the data that we accumulate.
0: Right. And I don't know if you—if this has been your experience as well. I think in addition to that, what can also happen while people are just being patient, is that you can almost slide into the complacency zone, right? Where where there's comfort, there's safety in the familiarity of knowing what you can do. And especially once you've had some success there, thinking about taking that next step when maybe you are still feeling really busy or overwhelmed can feel just unworkable. But when somebody's telling you, "Hey, you know, you should go for this," or you actually have a really strong skill set in X, Y, Z, it's okay to feel that vulnerability. It's okay to feel uh, a little bit of fear, but it's also, as you know, that action conquers fear. So it's it's being able to hold different things at the same time instead of I think sometimes people hear just be patient as just sit and wait. And yeah, that's not it. Strategic patience to me, to me again, I internalize that as an active method of being patient. So you're still doing something, you're still moving forward, you're still learning, you're staying curious, you're staying engaged while you're waiting for this other thing to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, was, I think if it is muscular patience. Oh, muscular. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Well, you one of the things that you talk about as well uh, that I, of course, being a you know aviator, love is this idea of checklists. And you know, certainly from my background as an naval aviator, the best way to you know develop any comprehensive plan is to build a checklist because we forget things, right? Even sometimes the really important things. So we use checklists for everything, right? We use it for planning. We use it for briefs. We use it for landing um, because we want to make sure that nothing critical is missed because we're human. We, We do forget these things. So you give some really great examples of even using checklists as a sort of filter to help or guide people and I wrap it all in the midst of overwhelm, right? Because that's where so many of us are right now. But to really guide people to give them some some questions to ask, so you you can figure out uh, maybe even some potential opportunities, and even to maybe look a little bit differently at problems that need to be solved or even examined. So I know I kind of I know I kind of just jumped in on that a little bit. But do you have? Can you remember some of those questions that you use either with coaching or or with the teams that you work with to help them get to where they want to go just a little bit faster?
1: Absolutely. And you're 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 very you're very generous. Can you can you remember the questions? <laughs> know, well, it's, it's a it's new so true <laughs> when you're we an author. Them. Yeah. They're like so. I know, there's the nine point, blah, blah, blah. Can you tell us the nine points? It's like, oh know, my damn, if I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> because, because hold
0: on, I can find it real quick here. No, but no, it's hard.
1: The, good, the good news is I actually do, in fact, remember the four questions. But I just wanted to thank you for your very graceful <laughs> way of providing me uh, and, and out if needed. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. I'm here for it. I know game.
0: you've done a bajillion interviews, and this is not your first book. So... Sometimes people be like, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get her here on page 127. Here's this one sentence, and they'll say, Tell me more about and you're like, Oh that's I right, fourth
1: paragraph that. down. What do you think, Dory? Yeah, uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> but uh I, I, I very much agree with you. Checklists are so important because needing a checklist doesn't mean we're somehow bad at what we're doing, it just means that we are human, and sometimes you get cognitive overload. And Mm -hmm. things get missed. And we have to appreciate that for most of us, cognitive overload is actually our default state now. We've got way too much going on, which means that our ability to actually make decisions, especially, you know, like if you really focus, you really say, okay, I have to really, really think about this, you can muscle through it. But for a lot of decisions that we're making on a day to day basis, these are things that we're doing very fast, we're moving fast, we're not considering it very carefully, and so it's easy to just get swept away, and in the moment, yes is almost e- always easier than no, because we don't want to disappoint people, we want to just, you know, move through things, oh, okay, I've got to clear out my inbox, okay, you know, someone says, oh, Dory, you know, when when are you next free? Oh, I guess I'm free on Thursday, okay, boom, And meanwhile, you feel good because, oh, good, I took care of that email. What you don't really think about is, oh, I just lost an hour because I agreed to a meeting, and it might not actually have been a really valuable meeting to agree to in the first place. So -hmm. there's four questions, as you alluded to, Carrie, that I try to put through my filter, and I suggest it might be helpful for other people as well. The frame here is looking at Requests that come in, and should you do them? Because this is really the necessary first step in clearing out your schedule, making more white space for yourself. How do you actually filter some of the things that are coming at you? And number one is to understand the total request. What I mean by this, so often it's very easy to kind of con ourselves, you know, oh, hey, hey, Carrie, would you do this webinar for me? Oh, blah, 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 it's only an hour. And you're like, well, it's an hour. I guess I could do that. And you say yes, like, oh, okay, I, I could spare an hour. Meanwhile, they want to do three prep calls with you. They want you to create a deck. There's back and forth. Oh, oh, sorry, the date had to change. How about, blah, blah, blah. Now it's like five hours worth of commitment. So we have to understand the totality of the request. Number two is I like to make sure that we're very mindful of the physical and emotional cost of a request that we say yes to. Uh, there's a story that I tell in the long game about A speaking engagement in the Caribbean, which already sounds kind of sexy, but I turned it down. And the reason I turned it down was I realized I was traveling all the week before, I was traveling all the week after, and I just thought about myself spending three weeks on the road consecutively living out of a suitcase. And I thought, you know what? That's not even gonna be fun for me. I'm gonna be kind of a wreck. You know, I'm gonna be eating bad airport food and I'm not gonna have clean clothes. And I realized it it was not the right choice. So I, I turned it down. So physical and emotional cost is number two. Number three is it's always important to ask about the opportunity cost. We often just focus in on, you know, like an up or down vote. Oh, should I do this or should I not do this? Can I do this? Or, you know, is it somehow structurally impossible? What we need to be asking ourselves is, okay, this hour that I've committed to something, is this the highest and best use of this hour Or literally, is there anything else in the world that I could better be doing with this hour? Could be family, could be exercise, could be travel, whatever it is. And then the final point is asking ourselves, just take the lens of time as a filter. Would I feel bad in a year if I didn't do this? Would I be upset with myself a year from now if I did not uh, say yes to this opportunity? And for the vast majority of things, you're probably not even
0: going to remember. It's one of my favorite things that Brene Brown says about building up that capacity to choose that momentary discomfort of a no over the resentment of a yes. Yeah, exactly. And and there are those big costs. And when we think about from a leadership position, a performance perspective, even the way we are scheduling our time, right? And, and you're the communication expert. And I look at this even oftentimes agendas, meetings, going into somebody who just, you know, into a coffee or or a quick hop on the phone with somebody who just wants to pick your brain, but you, you have no idea what they want to talk to you about. And then it wanders for 45 minutes or an hour and a half and you know, has that even been a valuable conversation, or could it have been a conversation that was done in twenty minutes, thereby giving people twenty-five minutes back, right, to do that more productive work? Um, which I always think is fascinating. And one of the when you talk about even in the long game, this idea of from a life perspective, even thinking in waves or cycles, I love, love, love the idea that you talk about optimize for interesting. And I love that because again, you're, you're in the middle of this right now as well with coaching people. And we're seeing all these vast sea changes happening with people. I think it totally flips the script that young kids, well, younger that are now, you know, just graduated from college in college and trying to figure out, Oh, what am I supposed to do with my life? And Instagram tells me just find my purpose and I'll never work a day in my life. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm about to take that app away from you. But it flips that script of just find your passion or your purpose and you'll never work a day in your life. But then I think that drives people to keep looking at the end result or the finish line or a moment in time accomplishment instead of learning or discovering the joy of the process of discovery, the process of, of learning and even failing and just the figuring out what you don't like. So the optimize for interesting, tell me more about that, because I think that's genius. That phraseology just flips it all.
1: Yeah. Th- well, thank you, Carrie. I appreciate it. I agree with you completely. There's a very prominent strand in our cultural conversation about the importance of following your passion. And I'm certainly not going to say that's that's a bad thing. Like, if you have a passion that you're really into, God bless, you know? <laughs> it's wonderful. Right. Yeah. But- the problem is that a lot of people don't. A lot of people might feel like they have multiple passions and they don't know how to choose. Or maybe they're just not sure what their passion is. And there is a lot of what I call passion shaming. Because mm-hmm. if you're somebody where in our culture, you're like, you know, I don't really know what my passion is. Everyone's like, oh, really? Really? Yeah. Oh, how terrible for you. <laughs> and then it becomes you this thing be like, oh. <laughs> That's right. Like, yeah. like, basically, you feel like, oh, God, I can't do anything until I figure out my passion because I don't want to make a wrong move. And of course, not doing anything is not the way to find your passion. You're just sitting there kind of in stasis. And that's probably the worst thing we can do. And so what I like to suggest, you know, let's lower the bar. Let's lower the pressure. W- what is your passion? All right. If you find a passion, fantastic. If you don't, not the end of the world. What is the end of the world is ending up in a career that you hate. That's what I want to prevent. Instead, I like to frame it as, you know, do what's possible here. Optimize for interesting. You might not know what your passion in life is, but everybody understands what they find interesting or, or not. And so just do more of that. Keep exploring, keep moving in the direction of things that are interesting to you, If it turns out after a while something isn't, all right, pivot. You know, that's okay. You've learned a lot about various elements and you can probably use that to navigate more effectively. So optimizing for interesting is something that that I feel like is a kinder, gentler way for ourselves to think about where where we want to end up and what we want our careers to look like.
0: I love it. I love that. I think it's an, and the whole idea of don't be, you know, don't be constrained about what's possible uh, because again, it's, it goes back to that strategic patience, right? And the idea of just keep moving, just keep going until you find that thing. And for, you know, people who maybe want to be entrepreneurs, but they don't know where to get started. You know, there's a wealth of knowledge. You've got systems, you've got resources for people to, to try to figure out that path, Rare is the person who knows, who wakes up and is like, this is it. This is all I want to do. This is all I've ever wanted to do. But yet the perception, I think for most people, when we see somebody who just has that fire lit and they just are so into what they're doing, we're like, oh, well, it was easy for them. It should be easy for me like that. I try to tell even my kids, I'm like, hey, the only way you're going to figure out what you really like to do is by doing a ton of stuff and you're going to learn what you don't like to do, right? Like you and I have a mutual friend and Laura Gassner-Odding, she loves Excel spreadsheets and data points. She'll text me and I'm like, good on you. No, (laughs) I don't, I'm not your people on that. Can I read the data? Yes. Do I like diving into spreadsheets and little data points and plotting things? No, I like the people part of it. But do you know how I discovered that? I did how? a bunch of operational excellence work with engineers who loved excel spreadsheets and i'm like not my thing now i realize that it's 100 on my thing
1: how do you optimize for interesting in, in your life today carrie
0: that's a little turn you're not supposed to flip the table back on me and ask me that question so <laughs> part of it for me is that because i do have four kids because i do run a business and i i do stay very busy with, uh, I stay busy with my commitments, my family commitments with my work commitments, that my slice of the time pie tends to be smaller than at times I would like it to be. Sure. So what I stay really engaged in, I follow some super cool people on Twitter. I follow interesting people on Instagram. I will shamelessly dive head into even if my friends are like oh you should take a look at this but i don't know anything about it you know maybe it's several years ago i got really into cyber or you know working out different things it's but it's always for me it's the quest of constant learning and staying engaged right maybe it's uh trying to figure out ESG for if you're working with a board so it's 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 the chase it's the chase of learning and Trying to keep diving into different subjects, but that that are aligned or are have the guardrails, if you will, of of high performance. So I'm not all over the map. I don't I don't want to be a, a marketing expert, or I'm not looking to be the next person who's going to run cyber for, you know, Microsoft. Um, but I stay I stay really engaged in different in different things that. The p- I think even that the people that I care about are interested in, because then you can have really compelling conversations that it's not just, oh, tell me about what you're interested in. And they're like, oh, okay, that's cool. I've never even heard of an NFT, right? <laughs> that's- so, so part of what keeps things interesting, I guess the really short answer to your short question with a lot of words in between is surround yourself with really interesting people and you'll never be at a lack of interesting things.
1: I love it. I love it. You can just ride ride the coattails. <laughs> That's a yeah. way to
0: do it. Yeah, and, of having and, having friends or having professional acquaintances with really diverse interests keeps you moving forward, right? Keeps they you become curators that help you discover what you think is
1: most interesting. I love that. Right.
0: Right. So, I mean, I'm not. I've got friends who are really into Bitcoin. I know some about it. I'm also. I've also kind of learned that I'm like, I don't know, maybe. Maybe it's a danger zone. Maybe I just don't know n- quite enough about it to be all in like they are. But I'm like, yeah, not really my thing. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing the boat on it. Maybe
1: I don't know. I guess we'll we'll all find out in in ten years. When I know they're, they're either billionaires or bankrupt. We'll
0: <laughs> <That's laughs> right, know. Right. We'll listen back to the podcast and we'll be like, oh, you actually totally missed the boat on that one. <laughs> that's right. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I think it's again. I think it's it's having. But in order to even do that, in order to, I think, to optimize for interesting, you have to be able to get your nose above the water at some point, right? And I like doing stuff that scares me a little bit. I did uh, a month ago, did open water shark diving with two of my kids, which was 100% not on my bucket list, went against every risk management fiber of my being. And yet, if your kids are getting in the water, then you're, I'm like, well, someone's going to have to put themselves between them and the shark, and it's going to be me. Um, you I mean, are right? a
1: good sport and a good mom. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My but, my mom didn't even want me on roller coasters.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, but, you know, you my kids, a couple of my kids are super interested in sea, like sea life, in coral, in sharks, all of that. So then you end up doing, you know, some of those things where... Again, it just, how are you going to spend the limited time that you have that does something that fuels you, that fires you up a little bit? Maybe that scares you, right? That puts a little lump in your throat that makes you feel like you're making a micro step or a little bit of progress, right? Instead of, I think so many of us, uh, when we think about changing lanes or we think about, okay, how do I dig myself out of this hole of overwhelm? that you think it's too big. I can't escape this, this mechanism that I'm caught in. But yet you, I think, give a really good pathway and a map of going, you don't have to have it all figured out. Just just start by asking a couple of these questions, and maybe tomorrow will be a little bit better than where you are today. That's right. right. Absolutely. Trust yourself that you'll figure it out. It is the long game. It isn't. You don't have to solve for tomorrow but you can solve little pieces at a time, which is why, Dory, I think this book is gold.
1: Thank you, Carrie. I appreciate it so much. And in fact, our friend that you mentioned, Laura Gassner-Odding, uh, makes a star appearance in The Long Game as well. So uh, all kinds of good Easter eggs uh, planted in there.
0: Yes, for sure. Well, Dory, uh, I know you have to bounce. Do you have, do you have just one more second to answer just a couple of Fun questions. How can I turn questions. that down? Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. Um, well, this might be a setup, and you can you can insert your own last word because this you, I may already have an answer to this one. What is your go-to music that you listen to when you work out? Great
1: question. I actually am probably going to be working out shortly after this, so I have a workout playlist on my Spotify account, and the top song on my on my workout playlist let's see if i can actually give you true facts here appropriately enough for a workout mix uh the top song on it appears to be gonna make you sweat by cnc music factory that's rather on point isn't it i've got i got a feeling by the black eyed peas um let's see i won't back down by tom petty oh, y- yeah oh and flash dance by irene Hara. <laughs> look at that
0: mm. <laughs> That's a mix. We just took a turn through the 80s and 90s, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> if you don't know what those songs are, hit up You're Doris too Smith. young. <laughs> You're, you are too young for this podcast. That's awesome. Uh Who do you think of as a mentor and what did you need to learn from them? You know, when,
1: one uh, person who I also profile in the long game is Marshall Goldsmith, the executive coach. And he, I, I think it's it's really lovely what he's done. He's created a kind of learning community called uh, the Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches. And it really is essentially his kind of legacy project of bringing people together, transmitting his knowledge, and, you know, doing it all for free. And uh, as, as I write about in the section about thinking in waves, there's, quote unquote, you might call it the final wave is sort of the reaping wave where, you know, oh, you're doing great. You're making lots of money. You're very successful. But if you stop there and if you assume that that is a permanent destination, you're going to be in trouble because the world's going to move on. And as Marshall says, nobody can be satisfied with a thing that used to be. And so we need to recognize it's not a destination, it's a circle, and you need to shift back into learning mode. And Marshall, I think, has really done that through his 100
0: Coaches Initiative. I know. He's so generous. And I I call that, uh, and I wrote about it a little bit in my last book, this idea of putting the ladder down that you know when you've quote arrived or when you've gotten to a certain place that's better than you were where you were before so it doesn't mean you're at the top doesn't mean you're even in the middle just better than where you were before to make sure you put the ladder down to bring people with you or you know for the sake of what what you know good for you you won good job who did you bring with you i think he's so generous in in his time and and uh, you are as well but What, what is the biggest misperception of you?
1: I'm not really sure exactly what the biggest misperception is, although, um, I'm still single, so I'm sure that, (laughs) that all my exes could, could (laughs) fill you in. Uh, so I'm just going to punt on that Carrie and, uh, you know, in the, in the Facebook comments, I'm sure they can tell you all kinds of things.
0: (laughs) No, 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 no. I, and you know what? I think you, you are always so clear cut in your, your clarity in communications is always very kind and you seem very open. So I don't know how anybody could have a misperception of you, quite frankly. So well, I'm glad you it on that one. That's a good one. <laughs> Who would play you in a
1: movie? Well, I'm not really sure about a movie, but I would say if if it's a Broadway show, what, one of my side gigs that I've worked on, as I was kind of alluding to, uh, I have been working on learning to write musical theater. And so yes. I wrote a spy musical, a sec, this is our tagline, a sexy lesbian spy thriller. And, <laughs> uh, you know, cause if I can't actually be a spy, I'd at least like to write about spies. Sure. And so w- we, what we would like to do is to land Jen Calella, who is a, uh, very well-known theatrical actress who was, uh, Tony nominated for her role in *Come From Away*, uh, so she could she could be sort of my my alter ego in mm.
0: uh, in the Broadway show. Well, how are you doing on that? Are you making progress? Are you as far along now as you would like to be?
1: You know, I feel like for I created a ten year goal uh, about creating a show that could make it to Broadway by the twenty twenty six season. Mm-hmm. So, I you know. As with all things in the long game, certainly I'd like to have it move faster, but Broadway shows almost definitionally do not. And so uh, I am very pleased with where we are five five years into the process. I have a complete show. We're looking to get a workshop production done. Uh, we've apl- applied for grants. This is not related to this show, but actually I am part of a fellowship program uh, where next month I have a a ten minute musical that's going to be uh, premiered and performed
0: at Symphony Space in New York, so
1: moving the ball forward.
0: That's awesome. That's fantastic. Well, you might have to you might have to go on a book writing sabbatical to do all the things required to launch that thing into uh, into the Broadway ecosphere. I, I mean, you're good at a lot of things, but. You can't do all the things. I don't know. Somebody right. should write a book about that. Hmm. <laughs> all right. Your, your last question, just for fun. We have a hundred dollars, a full tank of gas and the day off. Where are we going?
1: Incredible. That sounds like a good time. Carrie, I'm looking forward to that. I guess it depends, you know, we'll get the philosophical. It depends where you're starting from. <laughs> How far you can get out a full tank right. of gas at a hundred bucks. But, uh, if we were in New York City, I might go to Storm King, which it already is like doesn't that sound badass? Um, Storm King is a sculpture park. It's like a museum and a sculpture park north of the city, which I've only been to once because I live in New York. I don't have a car <laughs> but I had a friend take me who did have a car. It's very beautiful and you can walk around and see all these fantastic outdoor sculptures. So that would be a good place if you have a100 dollars in a full tank of gas starting from New York City.
0: That is fantastic. Yeah. I, I haven't been either. So that would be cool. All right. Well, that sounds like our next adventure. I know. Well, you know what, maybe when your workshop hits the streets or, um, I don't know, maybe when, when things quiet down or we, we all have a little break, we can do a little join up in New York city and, and we'll hit it. So I love this. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, Dory, you have most definitely optimized for interesting and I could chat with you all day, but, uh, you have to keep going. So your newest book, The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World is out in the world and it's available now. But if people want to get in touch with you or follow your journey or Philip, uh, where can they find you? (laughs) <laughs> Thank you,
1: Carrie. Yes. Uh, if you want to follow Philip, I recommend my Instagram account, at Dory Clark. Uh, I'm sorry, Philip, you... and Heath. Philip and Heath. Yes, right. yes, <laughs> it's true. You know, he Heath shows up a little less frequently. I know. Uh, sorry. He's not, he's not quite hugging the cameras as much, but, uh, but he is a very attractive guy. Uh, but if you want to follow me, uh, one thing that I might suggest, uh, I have a new long game strategic thinking self-assessment, which helps you apply the principles of strategic thinking to your own life and career. And folks can download that for free at doryclark.com slash the long game.
0: Love that. Love that. And thank you for sharing that. I meant to pipe in about that earlier, so I'm glad you did. So Dory, thanks again so much for sharing your time. Uh, I really appreciate you and I loved our conversation. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Carrie. And thank you so much for listening this week. If you enjoyed the show with Dory, make sure you take a second to subscribe so you'll automatically get my new shows when they drop. Also, if you loved our conversation today, I'd love it if you left us a review so that more fearless leaders like you can discover us. It takes less than 60 seconds, and it really makes a difference. And while you're at it, I'd love to hear from you personally on my social channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook on occasion. And of course, you can always find me at www.carrylorenz.com. Finally, the holidays are coming. Don't forget to grab your copy of my new book, the new Wall Street Journal bestseller, Span of Control. It's available on Amazon, iTunes, Audible, Target, Barnes & Noble, and always your favorite indie bookstore. I know it's going to be extraordinarily helpful to you on a personal level, but it can also help your family members, your friends, and the teams you lead or coach identify their priorities, focus on what matters most, and find success, even during times of chaos, uncertainty, and change. So thank you for sharing your time with me again today. I'm really glad you're here.